Hello, my name is Mamadou Njai, and the last thing that I prayed for was silence, because motherfuckers be talking too much and talking a lot and saying the wrong things and being too loud, but also wrong. So shut up. So that's what I prayed for. What is with us? I don't know about us, but you. What's with you? (laughs) No, I'm kidding. We did have a great pre-chat that we had recorded before, and I'm going to try to recreate it. What did we say? How did we start it? I forget exactly what we talked about, but I do remember you calling out one of your neighbors for having a German shepherd that bit you. So let's get into that. Really? Okay, well, I liked in our last chat how we ended with it, but I guess I'll dive right in. If you you make me... (laughs) So yeah, um, I was attacked by a one-year-old German Shepherd in my apartment building. And long story short, folks, this dog bit me. I did have to go to the doctor. I got a tetanus shot. Yes, I am fine. Yes, Arthur's fine. However, this fucking bitch refused to give me her contact information via the, the building manager because I was like, I should reach out and make her pay for my doctor's appointment obviously, because her dog was the one that did this to me. And you know what? I didn't get her contact information, but I am a wizard on the internet. So Sasha Zeidner, if you're listening to this or if anyone who is listening (laughs) to this knows Sasha Zeidner, she has a vicious dog and she's a vicious human being. She smells like weed all the time. And I literally hate her. Um, No, hate is a very strong word. And I don't hate her, but I hate her morals and I hate that she wouldn't give me her contact information and I hate her dog. So there you have it. She sounds, that sounds like a Jewish last name. So I'm glad that ties into the it's podcast. It's certainly a Jewish last name. She also has like horrendous <laughs> frizzy hair. So like, you know. I, as someone who struggles with frizzy hair, it's tough. I thought about moving back to Arizona just because the climate is so much better for my hair, but ultimately I don't think that's a good enough reason. To but leave. you have nice curls. You know, when there's like, there's a difference between Thank nice you. curls that can frizz up and like that hair that looks like ramen noodles. It's like somewhere between like she probably <laughs> fried it Japanese straightening her hair like many years ago. And now it just like has no curl pattern. And that's like a fucking mess. That's her. Yeah. You got to take care of your curls. It's all about product, reducing heat. That's another episode entirely. Oh my God. Actually, that's we always say we that. literally always talk about curl patterns. We always talk about hair. It comes up quite often. But an entire episode about hair. Okay, whatever. Side note, we're back on track. Let's talk about our guest this week. Mamadou. Mamadou. So I know Mamadou through work. He's a fantastic writer, comedian, activist, sweet boy, little... Oh, he's not little. <laughs> I'm going to say little munchkin, but he's... Just because his attitude is like so sweet and loving. But he's he's a real one. Jess, what did you think? I I would agree that he is a real one. I thought he was so fascinating. He is Muslim and we've only had one other Muslim guest on the podcast. And my knowledge. We had another Muslim guest on the podcast. So yeah, Ariana. Her I think her mom is her dad is Muslim, but she's not Muslim. She's Jewish. Jewish. Okay, her dad's Muslim, her mom's Jewish. Yeah, but by blood. So I don't know. I just thought it was so cool to like find out about his childhood and how he like integrates his religion into his life now we talked 
for so long. I think this is our longest episode we've ever had. Yeah, it was a wonderful episode. I think you'll all enjoy it. It's time for Live, Laugh, Lachayim. Okay. Live, Laugh, Lachayim. Wow, I sing this That's what we were talking about our last free chat. Now I think you did it on purpose, actually. I was singing in our last free chat. Yep, we were talking about that I like to sing on the podcast, and that's the only reason why we do a podcast. And then I sang a little song, and you were annoyed by it, so I think you are sabotaging the last free chat. If you would like to sing a little something, if you want to riff, I was a one and done situation. Okay. These mics are great, though, for singing into. Not that I've ever done it, but like it looks like a very real This episode of Pray For so. Us is sponsored by Sweetwater Microphones. Go to www.sweetwater.com slash buy your microphone. Okay, wait. Should we okay. do our Live Laugh yes. Lahayim? What's um, yours? Well, now I have a new one because a day has passed. My Live Laugh Lahayim is yesterday was Jack's birthday. And we went out to dinner, celebrated with wine and pizza. And um, the li- the live left lachaim moment was I felt comfortable enough at the restaurant to ask for a new table because they initially sat us like very close to the <laughs> sidewalk, even though there's like a whole patio on the side where it's like actually nice. And I was like, oh, it's his birthday. Like, can we just wait for a table that's not on the sidewalk? And I feel like I haven't gotten to do that in about a year, a year and a half. So live left lachaim. That's so brave Thank of you. you. What's yours? My live, laugh, lahayim. I'll do the same one that I've been thinking about all week, which is spring and the flowers blooming and particularly the jasmine that is really just blossoming in my neighborhood and throughout Los Angeles. It smells so good and I'm obsessed. Sorry. That's basic. Yeah. No, I love, I love really jasmine. Happy. I love flowers. You just sounded so much like Kourtney Kardashian to me. I don't know why. You're like the jasmine that's just, <laughs> blossoming i can't do a great courtney anyway enjoy the mamadou chat salam shalom peace be with all of you hey there we're jc and this is jessica hello she says hi and this is pray for us a podcast about practicing ancient religions in the modern day We're talking about how we observe Judaism and other religions when it comes to holidays, relationships, food, and everything in between. Today, we're talking to Mamadou Njai. Hi. Hey, Mamadou is a TV writer who I've worked with firsthand. He's the bomb. Uh, Comedian, DJ, which I didn't know, and activist. Welcome to the podcast, Mamadou. So great to have you. Thank you so much. I can't wait to disappoint you in all of those fronts in this (laughs) podcast. I spent so much time on your website and there were things that JC was like, how do you know that? And I was like, it's on the website. (laughs) You do a very good website. (laughs) Thank you. It it used to be so like just functional, like, hey, this is what I do. If you want to work with me, work with me. And then I think Mm -hmm. it was earlier this year, I really sat down and I was like, all right, Square, so see what you can do. And it just started fucking it up wait can, you, can i curse on this podcast yes oh yeah you say whatever the fuck you want fuck yes let's go mamadou where are you currently and where are you from originally or where were you raised uh, i am in brooklyn right now and it is a complicated story i was born in illinois but my dad and my, my family are mauritanian american so they were born in mauritania and mali so growing up i spent time here i spent time there and I moved through the Midwest and we ended up landing in Worcester, Ohio, where I feel like I was raised for most of my life. But when you, even if you're raised in Worcester, 
around African people, you kind of just African. <laughs> like you just that's just who you are. <laughs> a little broad. Yeah. Is there like a big immigrant population there? Like how did you guys end up in Ohio? So uh, there's four immigrants and it's our family. And that's it. So like basically <laughs> there is there isn't a lot of people and it's Ohio. Like Ohio does have a lot of other immigrant populations, but around the more metropolitan areas. But mm-hmm. I'm from Worcester, which is a small college town. So like the people who are, you know, immigrants are coming to the college and then leaving in four years. Or the professors who are coming and then leaving. So it was gotcha. never like a big, big population. Did you go to public school in Ohio? Public school, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that like? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, I, 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 I literally just went back home to Ohio two and a half weeks ago. And I saw and I was just like, wow, I can't believe I'm in school here. Like, I just, you know, when you're like a kid, you don't realize all different things like income disparity mm-hmm. and just like, just generally the type of people who are going to different schools and why they go to those schools. Man, I went to Cornerstone, which is on like the south side of Worcester, which feels like it means nothing, but it does mean that's where like the more lower income families uh, live. And I went to Cornerstone for a little bit of elementary school. I went to Mauritania for the end of elementary school. And then I went to the same middle school we all kind of went to in the area, which is Edgewood. And then uh, Worcester High School and all, it was just, I would say very white, only Muslim person there. No one really knew I was Muslim. They just knew I didn't like pepperoni, didn't drink. And uh, it's because it was post 9-11 Ohio. So I was over here like, you know what? I'm going to keep it. Keep some things on the low. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save some cards for later when I'm insanely famous, you know? Did you like growing up in a like more remote role place where you're like, get me to the city immediately. I can't wait till I can leave this place. You know, as well, like growing up, I didn't realize what my parents were doing. So we, when we lived in Illinois. We did live outside Chicago. And then, you know, you know, events happened there. My dad was like, I'm going to go to college or I'm going to teach at this college. But we went back to Mauritania for a little bit, we came back. And I, my dad's like, we're going to live in Worcester. We moved from Illinois to Worcester. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize it at the time. But like the where my family's from in Mauritania is a very small town. Like there's people that we know were from the capital, but it's a small town. So it felt like my parents never were really gravitating to the big, t- uh, big city vibe. They liked the small town. But me... I always knew there was like <laughs> a rest of the world and Worcester was just like very yeah. containing. So like not being able to speak languages that I speak, practice religions, or even just mm-hmm. like have conversations with family. I always was like, I don't want to be here. Even I, I went to college in Worcester, but I was just because I wasn't trying to pay student loan debt for the rest of my life. My dad <laughs> taught there. So I was like, I'll go to school here. But like, I was like, I need to get the fuck out of here. Literally the summer after my senior year of college, I was like, I'm coming to New York. Like I was either New York or LA and I chose New York and I, I my one of my best friends growing up actually was from New York so it's like it wasn't like a shell shock for me but mm-hmm. I love New York and I had to get here and when I go back I'm just like how did I even do this you don't know what you're missing out on I feel like when you're little like I'm from Arizona which is so different from Ohio and not that remote at all but it was the only thing I knew and I felt like I was like whatever like this is fine like <laughs> I'll just yes. like get through it and now that i live in la i'm like oh my god i'm so happy this is like where i was meant to be jc doesn't really like la that much but (laughs) i feel like with new york you probably feel that way right no but i'm sure we both feel the same way about new york even though you actually lived there for now probably longer than i have ever lived in the actual city but like (laughs) no i love new york and i think i I said this the other day is that like uh, to uh, a person i used to work with that in worcester i felt like I was suppressing a lot of my identities to just make it pass. But then when I came to New York, I find people spoke languages that I spoke, religions. And then like, it was literally, I, and I, I'm even writing about it now. It's like, it's just so hard. It's like, I felt like I put Worcester away. Like Ohio is not part of my identity. 
But then, you know, I started like thinking about like, wow, why do I put so many exclamation points in my emails? And like, why am I so nice and polite to a fault? Why do I smile at everyone? Oh, that's Ohio. That's definitely Ohio. That's not a New York <laughs> thing. That's definitely Ohio. And I and it's like, yeah, it's a part of my identity. But I think the most, the biggest parts of my identity, and that's just because of the way that I was raised, is like my mom and dad raised us very African and Muslim. And I'm definitely the much more like, I followed what my parents did because I was scared of disappointing them type kid. And my sister is definitely the more like American. Americanized, like she's like wants to go do anything a little bit more of a free spirit. You said that growing up in Ohio, you kind of like, I don't want to say hid your identity from your friends, but that was kind of like the extent of what they knew is that you didn't drink and you didn't eat pork. It seems to me from the things that you've said that you were like very closely following what your parents taught you since leaving the house. Has that been amended at all or do you follow what your parents taught you it's funny because the same way that like everyone looks at like especially islam is like a super conservative religion and they're right in a lot of ways but like when it comes to like any other religion it's like there's some people who are orthodox jewish or three that are mm-hmm. orthodox christians that really like they're really into it and there's people who are identifying those religions but they really like there, there are Muslims that'll be like, hey, hey, don't eat pork, doing cocaine. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just, <laughs> right. it's, it's, like, it's, it's like, yo. Does it say like, anything hey. in the Quran about doing cocaine? <laughs> I, you know, I've read it front to back and that's a loophole. So I feel like. <laughs> I feel if it's like in that a bathroom, good, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> exactly. I feel like that good shit wasn't around when Muhammad was like getting the word of the Lord. So like, they're like, you know what? It's all stepped on. We're not going to even write about it. So yeah, it's, it, it's weird because like coming to New York, like, I still pray, you know, I still, like, you know, I fast for Ramadan. Ramadan was just a, few, uh, a month and a half ago. Like, I still do all that sort of stuff. And, like, for a lot of my Muslim friends, especially Muslim comments, they're like, yo, you really out here. Like, wow, that's crazy. You're not drinking, you're not eating pork. And I'm like, yo, I'm literally just doing what my parents did. And also, it's, it's like structure. It brought me, like, peace. Yeah. And whenever I'm, like, feeling like my life is in shambles or something, just calling, you know, uh, calling my mom. And so sometimes, you know, that religious side, like, hey, just believe in God and all your problems go away. It doesn't work. But there's something still comforting in it. But yeah. I think I, I still follow it. But I wouldn't say that, like, I'm like, you know, every day when I wake up, bang, bang, Islam gang, the way that, like, you know, people in other countries would be, you know? What was it like growing up? How did, did you guys practice at all? Or was it only in the home? Or how did you do that? if there wasn't even like a Muslim community? It was at home. Uh, like, you know, I would pray with my dad, my dad, like, you know, cause in Mauritania, people speak uh, Hassania and they speak, mm-hmm. you know, Bambara, other indigenous languages, Bambara uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Wolof. You learn Arabic in school because it's a Muslim country. So you're learning like yeah. the scripture in school. And I didn't have that. So my dad would like anglicize all the, like the surahs, the verses for prayer. And I would like learn them that way. So like my mom, my, they, they found a way to keep us all like, you know, making sure that we're like being religious in that sort of way. And, you know, when I went to school, like there was really no reason to talk about Islam because, you know, mm-hmm. hey, Arnold was on. So it's like, why would we, <laughs> like, why are we talking about world geopolitics when like we could be talking about two angry beavers and why that's even a show? So like, <laughs> it, it, yeah, I didn't have anywhere to go to like really practice. So like, you know, um, we had most, like I said, there are Muslim professors. There are people who practice Islam in town that we would like, you know, mm-hmm. commiserate with. There were students that would come to campus from my college, my dad's students who would come and we would pray with them. And then every once in a while, we would take a trip to either Chicago where we had a, uh, you know, other Mauritanians who were not related to, they just are Mauritanian in America at the same time as us. It's like when two black people go to a party and they always find each other. It's like that exact same thing, but across borders. <laughs> That's like Jews. Right? You'll find exactly. each other. Exactly, it's find the same thing. Find each other. It's, it's ridiculous how many times that I'll be at a party and, oh, 
I have to tell a story later. That, that, that's for a bonus content. That's downloadable. Ooh, but, we cannot forget. Uh, <laughs> for our Patreon. <laughs> Just yes, kidding. Patreon, yes. I go to parties all the time, DJing or not. And like, I'll be at a party. I, I DJed like a, a Columbia sorority party. And the only other black dude at this party came and stood next to me. I was like, you here with a day? He goes like, yeah. I was like, shouldn't you dance her? He's like, nah, I'm good. You're doing great, dude. I was like, no. I was like yo, this 23-year-old is just out here having the worst night of his life tonight. Oh, no. But I was making him feel a little bit better. But yeah, that was just what it is. We just found uh, people who believed in what we believed in, but we had to go a little bit further because we weren't near any sort of metropolitan area. Because your dad was a professor, do you feel like you were constantly like hosting people and your house was sort of like a hub? for Islam or was it not really like that? I don't think it was really like that. I think that like, every, you know, every semester or so, my mom would be cooking and then they'd invite people over. I remember, you know, shout out Christabel. She was a Ghanaian student that my dad had and she would come over and that was dope. And then when I went to Worcester, I met all the Muslim students and they all knew my dad. It's like, you know, when you're in school, especially being a black person, you see a black teacher, there's something that there's a connection there. Like, like mm-hmm. you understand that. It was like seeing other people who, you know, represented what you believed in. And my dad also being African and a black professor at the college, people found a lot of solace in that. And I think that that's, the extent to which it went and you know every once in a while there'd be like a student coming over or my dad would host them in his office and make tea for them that's what every single student who's ever he's ever has like yo he used to make us tea all the time so <laughs> yeah it's like there was definitely you you made you, you made your community in that sort of way that's cool because you said your mom is or was or still is always cooking just from my own knowledge because i have like zero reference for mauritania to begin with yeah. what is like traditional mauritanian cuisine yeah, or is that food. not even what she cooks i don't know why i just assume that's what she's cooking <laughs> oh man she she makes so many different things and i think my my mom was also like one of those people that would like try and find the africanized version of an american meal you know think about like you know uh, indian curry she would find like a way to make it african put spices from west africa into it it would taste it would change it up a little bit she i watched her do it when i went home last time and i was like all right you do this and you do this and i was like and you lost me i'm just gonna have to come home when i want this so and i think that's part of the plan <laughs> has she written down no no no. she has not written down i'll be like hey can you write it down she's like you know i don't write things down i'm just like you're a nurse <laughs> that's all you do all day you just write things down so don't say that we have like nama which is like a peanut butter stew with like lamb uh for you know eid when i went home uh eid is you know and ramadan mishwi mishwi is just like grilled lamb yeah, just like a little bit of salt and some of that it's like the way it, it's, it's things like that that like whatever I go home expecting to have at some point and there's Senegalese food like chebujen which is like fish and red rice it's like the jollof rice of uh, like Senegal mm. so like that's the sort of stuff that my mom would cook all the time yeah okay, that sounds yeah. amazing yeah. was there like a Muslim equivalent to like sleepaway camp or even like church camp like Jews love to ship their kids off for the summer so they can learn about like sex and make well, that's friendship not what the parents want say, them to I learn. Mean, about. That, it doesn't sound like that was on the itinerary. But the wording was like, incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I stand by my statement. Our parents because... love to ship us off so that we can have sex. Yeah. Like, no, no, to learn about <laughs> sex, not to have sex. I mean, maybe some people were having sex at sleepaway camp, not me. But no, that was not allowed. I feel like your parents do like ship you off because they're like, I don't want to talk about this or I don't want you to learn about this. It almost like expedites your maturity in a way or like your parents send you to church camp and you like learn about Jesus and stuff. Like, is there any equivalent to that in Islam or no? Not that I know of, especially from where I was, like the biggest threat that I got is like 
and this is why racism doesn't scare me, is my parents will be like, we'll send you back to Africa if you fuck up. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, cause like they know that aunts and uncles will raise us. Cause like when I go back home, all my aunts are like my moms. So like they would make sure that we weren't, you know, fuck it up when we go back there. So like when a racist says that, I'm like, dog, do you have a ticket? Like, like cause I, I'll go. I'm not worried. You know, you can go to Islamic school, you know, like, you know, mm-hmm. go out to, you know, study Quran and stuff like that. But I don't mm-hmm. think there's like camps like that. Yeah. I, and again, like I've I've seen movies, I've heard stories and about everyone's camp experience. I did not have like a sleepover until I was like maybe I want to say 16 years old. Wow. Mind you, my parents were like, we trust this person who was like a 21 year old person. They let me go sleep over with that. I did martial arts with. Oh, my God. But yeah, I, I, I thought about it the other day. I was like. I really was out here just drinking Mountain Dew and playing Wild Halo 2 with someone who was a full five years older than me. He's a grown adult. Like, there's something weird about this whole setup. But my parents, like, because they just wanted us to be safe. And I think that also it's like yeah. that mentality of like immigrant mentality of keeping your values. So like when they leave, you, you can't control them. I had friends sleep over at my crib, but... Uh, oh, well, that's a sleepover. Yeah, but, it, but like, again, not until I was like 15 or 16. It's like freshman year of high school, you know? Was it like, you know, middle school or like when you're younger? It was all like very much like I feel like I'm a fully formed adult and all the things I need to learn I found out on the internet. So I don't know why we're all doing here. (laughs) I used to teach Sunday school at the Silver Lake Independent JCC. And every year we would do like one Sunday where we'd meet up with like the Muslim equivalent of like the Jewish Community Center. I don't know what it was. The Muslim kids were so well behaved, so on task knew everything so responsive. And the Jewish kids would always like run around. They were crazy. They had no idea what the fuck was going on. And, like, there was no discipline whatsoever. And I was always like, what is wrong with us? Like, how do we be better? Not that it's better to be, like, a rule follower or whatever, but uh, I do think I'll there's, like, a right cultural now. difference there. It's fear. <laughs> it's pure fear. It's terror. It is someone saying, <laughs> my mom is going to slap the shit out of me for this. But, like, I remember <laughs> I was getting good grades at school and at a parent conference. I remember vividly sitting there. I'm like, yo, my mom's going to be so proud of me. Da, 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 da. My mom came in. She's like, oh, really? He's doing well. Great. Well, you just let me know if he's doing something bad. I'm like, well, that didn't come up at all. Like, why are you bringing this up? She's like, you just, just so you know, if you need like stuff in the back of the head, you can do that. I was like, they're not allowed to do that. Number <laughs> oh one. Number God. two, why are you just giving carte blanche people to beat me in the streets? Like, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm at a school with no other black kids. I'm not trying to be the only one who can get beat. So like, don't do that. <laughs> It, it, I, it's not even just fully fear. It's just that, like, you know, I, I would say Muslim parents, especially, and I think this is also the crossover of being black, there's this idea of I'm going to hurt you at home so you don't get hurt <laughs> by the world. That doesn't mm. work. It's it's this twisted form of love where it's like, yo, we want to protect you from, like, getting fucked up by the rest of the world. But ultimately, it's like, no, but now you're hurting us and giving us fear. So I think that some, there's some of that, but also it's, there's such a regimented structured like for prayer and everything that they're like, we just got to go and do this. So sometimes that just uh, isn't your bones. Like, even for me, like I can look at the, I look at the sun, I'm like, oh, it's going down. It's time to pray. Like that's just where my mind goes. That makes so much more sense to me. Like take a beating at home rather than in the world. And like, cause it mm-hmm. means so much more when it comes from people who are so close to you, as opposed to like the people that we have spoken to who went to like Catholic school where they're, where they're like, we don't talk about anything at home, but we get beat up at school it's like yeah but no one gives a fuck if you get beat up at school no one has respect for like the teachers who are shitty like i don't know to me that value computes more i think yeah it makes a lot of sense 
it computes more, but I would like to go on record as saying, don't beat your kids. Like, <laughs> I don't want people to be like, wow, maybe we should be, I should beat Timmy. Like, I don't want that. I want people to know that. I think that, like, especially now that, like, those breaking of generational trauma and curses that people, I always say this, and I, I say this to my sister when we're thinking about, like, our parents, and she's, like, frustrated with them. It's like, our parents raised us with the only tools they had at the time. And mm-hmm. every single day, the world was like, we don't want you to be here <laughs> in a lot of different, especially in America. So this is this was what they thought was the right thing to do. And ultimately, we came out okay. I think my generation might be the last generation to really go through it, like, of kids. It's just crazy that there's been this, like, societal shift that we're like, oh, wait, that's not okay anymore. But you can still be strict and, like, practice tough love with your kids yeah. just in a different way. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a parent, so I don't know what way that is. But yeah. <laughs> I'm sure someone else has <laughs> figured it out. Well, I, I taught seventh grade science, and it's like being a person is a scam. Like, every day, especially when you're, like, 12, it's like, yo, my body's going through changes. This girl ain't texting me back. Like, I got to do this homework. I hate this teacher. Oh, my God. Why am I not taller? I want to play sports. Oh, my God. If I like, like guys? Oh, I can't like guys because that guy told me if I love, like guys, I'm gay. It's like all that stuff's going through their head. It's like just sit there and be like, I was your age. This sucks. Let's be patient in a world that is like just so encumbered by stressors in all these different ways. Unfortunately, I, I personally, this is my personal opinion, um, I think that you just can't really divorce the stress of being an adult. And then hitting a kid. I'm just like, if you had the patience in the space, you'll find another intervention. And mm-hmm. I think that just oh, like, yeah. there's just so many different like uh, systems that are in place that keep those cycles in, in place. And about the Catholic school thing, like, yeah, I remember when I went back to Mauritania, I was going to, I was taking French in Nouakchott and I was in school with kids who getting like, they'd have to like recite things in French or conjugations or write the certain way or have their, you know, homework. I would not get beat if I messed up anything. And it's because my parents were like, yeah, you're not going to do that. My dad, I think I'm fortunate that when my dad was like, oh, I was mad at you for this and this, but it was also this, he would sit down with us and be like, hey, I'm sorry, yesterday flew off the handle. I yelled at you. It was also because of this. I apologize. And then that changes, that changes the way you look at accountability as a kid. If you see like, Accountability is like, oh, I fucked up. I'm getting hit. Then you're expecting that all the time. But if you're expecting like uh, someone, a measured conversation from an adult who's treating you like an adult, changes the way you look at the world. And, you know, in Mauritania, there's a lot of respect for elders. And in the United States, we always look for respect for elders, whether they're in our religious communities or just like cultural communities. But like, I think the conversation now is like, just because you're an elder does not mean you're going to get respect all the time. How old is your sister? My sister's 24. Where, where does she live? Is, are you guys still as close? Texas. I would say we're still as close, but physically not. And, you know, she's, she and I, I think that I always find myself being the, <laughs> the crisis management person in my family. It's like my parents a little bit more, you know, older, conservative, traditional. There's a little bit more free-spirited American, has half of the idea and then still jumps. Even like having conversations about Worcester, like with my parents being like, hey, you brought us here to protect us and know everyone in your neighborhood. However, in doing so, it also blocked us off from really knowing everyone else, every other part of the world that we could actually navigate. It's like a monkey's blog, a blessing and a curse. I think that having those conversations with my sister, you know, being older than her and like, you know, seeing like this is our parents did the best they could with all of what they had at the time. She's the person who just roasts me all the time. I'm curious, you sort of mentioned this earlier, but I wanted to know like how closely you adhere to like the five pillars of Islam or like how strictly you practice certain things. Like you said, you pray, like, do you pray Mm -hmm. several times a day? Like you'll stop what you're doing or are you just like when it's convenient for you? And I also am so curious about Ramadan. No, just hit me with each of the pillars and then we'll just, I'll just answer each of those questions. (laughs) (laughs) For prayer, 
I definitely prayed more when I first got to New York. And then I got mad busy and also was teaching. And I think that mm-hmm. when you're in Muslim countries, like, you know, in Mauritania, when it's prayer time, everything stops. People go to mm-hmm. mosques, people pray where they are. Even if you're in New York, you go to the bodega or you go to the, uh, you know, the halal truck. My man, the moment it's time to pray, he's outside. He's like, yeah, you're going to get your kebab later. You have to wait for this. I think that I, I have a stand-up joke that's specifically about, like, you know, prayer and that, like, at some point, like, God is definitely leaving you on red. Like, you've just been hitting him up five times a day, no response. <laughs> like, like, think about it. Like, you'd be tight. <laughs> like, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to I'm not gonna pray every single day. I think that it comes in ebbs and flows. And as I've become closer to a Muslim community in New York, I have other people who DJ or do comedy who are Muslim. I do. Uh, I'm getting back up to my full strength of praying five times a day. And now that I have a little bit more time, I can like take time to do that. It's just that America is not structured to um, have space for people to just go and pray in the middle of the day. It's starting to change a little bit, it's a little bit more inclusivity. And when you know, I've lost a few grand, uh, grandparents, and I have my tasbih here, the prayer beads. Sometimes I'll be sitting here if I'm thinking about something, listening to music, and I'm just like reminiscing and thinking about the surahs, and it's like. Sometimes I feel like Islam is like trying to get away from me and I'm like trying to pull it back. And I think like my grandmother, when I think about like devout, devout Muslims, I'm thinking about like my grandma and my grandpas and how like elders just go sit at mosques all day. Wow. It's just it's a completely different vibe when you're in a Muslim country. That sort of reminds me of I went to Israel once. I was there for 10 days on a free trip. And it was Mm -hmm. nice because everyone (laughs) observes the Sabbath there. Like everything is like shut down Mm -hmm. on Saturday. And it's like it makes it so much easier to just like observe because Mm -hmm. you're like, well, this is everyone else is doing it. Like it's built in. We talked about the same thing with like taking off time for like holidays Mm-hmm. or christmas like it's so much easier i think to be christian because the world is like built for you like it's on your schedule it's like a challenge to try and like figure out okay how do am i gonna fit my culture or my priorities into my life into this world that like wasn't built for it it's so weird too because like now i'm putting my scholar hat on it's like you cannot excise colonization and christianity Because like Christmas is a global thing because Christianity went to all these other places that had more tribal or pagan or just like spiritual religions that were free from like December 25th. So Mm -hmm. like you look at all of that and that and then like being in a Muslim country, like just being there for Eid, the end of Ramadan is like it's around everyone who's in the same religion bonkers it, it just it and you know going and going to like you know places where like there are mosques in the United States and going and finding other people they might not be people exactly like the somali muslims there are arab muslims there's like and there's definitely like you know you know sunni shia there's sufism there's different you don't even get to explore that like i was saying earlier mm-hmm. like being from ohio who am i having that conversation with beth i'm not talking to beth about this <laughs> like like there's no one to really unpack that with so you know you look at all these other countries especially in the caribbean you look at ghana nigeria like the colonization of those countries was very Christian upbringing. So you look at like North Africa, yeah, the French came in, but before that, you know, Arabs brought trade and, you know, brought merchants across uh, North Africa. So Islam got to all those places in the first place. And mm-hmm. uh, on the power rankings of who gets to take off school, like Christians, and all the time, I'm like, yo, <laughs> why are you coming? Why why you got ashy face? Like, what's going on? Like, you, and, oh, it's ashy face. Like, it's like, th- my brain goes there. Jewish kids by a mile, they're like, oh, it's Yom Kippur. I'm like, I don't know. I believe you. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to check. check. But I'm just like, yo, can I please have a crumb of a day to go spend eat with my family? People are like, that's not real. Like, I just remember vividly someone told me that's not a real holiday. And I was like, what? Dog. Yeah, man. I fasted in school too. Like, I grew up fasting. 
So like people know I was fasting and then they're like, oh, it's over. What do you do? I'm like, oh, we celebrate. I'm like, when? It should be today, but I'm in algebra two now. So like, looks like that's not happening. <laughs> Have you also experienced the phenomenon of Christian kids asking you if you celebrate Thanksgiving? Yeah, but here's the thing. I do because I fuck with food and that's what it is. I'm like, <laughs> same, well, same. Yeah, I don't fuck with it's colonization. so funny to me. I don't fuck with the, na- the genocide of natives. But listen, my mom will fuck up a turkey and throw couscous in there as <laughs> stuffing. And I made the mashed potatoes and we had like gravy that, you know, my mom was out here remixing it with everything. And that was great. And, it, and again, it's like, and I think that, you know, also America is a very specific country in the fact that it's so tied to this like standing on tradition. Everywhere I go, I see American flags. I was on a flight the other day, man had an American flag mask. I'm like, ah, okay. Like, is, is that your identity? You go to a lot of these other countries, the only time you see flags is up on, like, you know, government buildings. That's such a good point. Yeah. Amer- America's always, like, rep your set no matter what. If, and if you're an American, you're wearing the American flag. If you are uh, from another country, driving to New York, you see people with their Guyanese, they're Palestinian, they're Pakistani, like, everywhere. When you're in a country where everyone's like, yo, you got to be American, everyone's like, no, we want to be the other direction so hard because there's so few of us. But it, I, I said it the other day, saying assalamu alaikum to, like, Muslim people felt like hell hydra when I was in uh, Ohio, but it just feels so much more free. You know, like, I can go to an African mosque, I can go to, like, the NYU mosque. It's, like, it's just so different. It's a different uh, energy altogether. It's funny that when you travel abroad, like the last thing you want to be is American. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm Canadian every time I leave this country. <laughs> I mean, anytime you meet anyone from another place, they're just like, oh, do you do you own machine guns? Like, do you love Trump or do you like it's just we'll oh, it's not even a conversation that <laughs> I want to have. But, you no, know, it's the thing of like, what is America's exports? you know, and it's media. And unfortunately, the media in America for a while has been pretty dark. If that's what they're seeing is machine guns on the news, they're like, oh, every American has to have that. It's, it's It's pretty weird. I remember even way back with Bush, I would go back to Mauritania with my family and people would be like, ah, Bush, ah, yeah, he's your president. Like, I'd be like, <laughs> I, I, like I was like, yo, I'm 13. That's not my Hashtag president. Hashtag not no. my president. And that, yeah, like, <laughs> definitely not my president. And um, they make fun of me. And then we had Obama. So when we went back to Mauritania, I was like, yeah, now we out here. We got a black president. Things are different. Yeah, and I got to <laughs> spicy to me. Like, because we have, like, stores. That's why I like New York, too, because it reminds me of Rockshot a lot, where it has, like, bodegas, corner stores, like a neighborhood vibe that people know each other. But I love, I was just walking down the street earlier, and I saw the mother of one of my former students. And we just talked for a few minutes. How many languages do you speak these days? Uh, you know, seven to ten. Uh, no, uh, no, I, I speak Bambara, which is the official dialect of like where my family's from. Uh, Hassania, I understand. I'm not, I can't speak it, but I understand. When people are talking Hassania around me. I speak French. I speak English and um, uh, Spanish. I'm under. I'm doing Duolingo. Duolingo gang, JC, get up on your Duolingos. Uh, <laughs> I know. I'm I gave up on Duolingo. <laughs> Yo, JC's my friend, one of two friends on Duolingo, and I'm just waiting for them. I'm waiting for them XP stats to go up. That owl is like, come on. <laughs> I'm honestly embarrassed because every time I log on, it's like, give Mama do a high five. It's his 900th day on Duolingo, and every day I'm like, fuck, I gotta put this away now because I'm just like getting you're running laps around me. Yo, it's so funny because it's me and Maria, and Maria and I will go back and forth, and I'm like. She's busy. I know what you do. So I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> who's Maria? Sorry. Maria's my partner. 
Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to learn Spanish because she's Colombian and she's learning French. We both studied French in school, but she's trying to speak French. In my defense, I already speak Spanish. I lived in Spain yeah. and I understand it almost fluently, yeah. but I'm trying to like brush up my skills because I think a lot of it is like very improper. Yeah. I feel like once you know two languages, you're bilingual, it's so much easier to learn another language. If it's a romance language, it's easier yeah. to learn other romance languages. Yeah. But I don't think I'd be able to learn like Farsi just because I know Spanish. Yeah. It's, well, yeah. So French and English. Uh, oh, that was easy because I was like, OK, it's just conjugations. Like I can know conjugations. I can know what words are for different things. And I understand the Latin roots because I also studied. I, went, I was pre-med. So like I just learned Latin roots of things. So I just that would help a lot. And then Spanish has been easy because I just listen. I, we watch soccer games on Telemundo because the sound of the crowd sounds so much better. And the crowd uh, <laughs> playing their drums during like games in the World Cup was always our favorite. So I just understood that. And I was around a lot of a lot of my best friends are like uh, Spanish speakers. And I think it was like Bambara Bambara is like not really a written language. It's like it's one of those ones that it's, it's dying because it's not dying. It's never going to die because it's always in that area. But it's because it's such a language that got affected by colonialism. Like whenever I don't know a word in Bambara, I say it in French. I don't know a word in French. I say it in Bambara. And it's hard because it's hard to say that I speak a language fully because, you know, I'll start speaking Inga, Bambara into French and then into English. And my mom's the same way. She's out here in Mauritania. And people are like, does she know that she says English words sometimes? Because <laughs> it's just like you're just a constant monologue. And Hassania is actually a dialect, a Mauritanian dialect of Arabic. So there's a lot of Arabic like loan okay. words. So if I go to the bodega here and I hear them talking and they're like doing the math in Arabic, I'll be like, all right, I don't have the money on the like. How do you know that? And I'm like, yeah, no, I hear it. It's like a secret weapon. You thought I was a dummy, but I, I know, I know, I know why. That means what? So I heard what you so, said. I heard what you said. Oh, that's my favorite. I, I love when people think that you don't speak a language, especially in New York. And I'm just like, Spanish people are normally like, they'll, they'll keep it PC. But I've definitely yeah. been on a train and someone's talking spicy about me being dirty in French. And I told him, it's like, tu sais que je, je comprends? And it was, he was like, what? And his kids were like, oh my God. And I just, I was standing over them for one whole stop. Like, I could fight you, but you're not even worth it. And then it's oh left. my God. <laughs> it's like, it's done. Okay. So I have to ask, and we ask all of our guests this, is your yeah. partner the same religion as you? Or is it important for you to have a Muslim partner or do you not really prioritize that? All right. This is for my mom. It is so important for me to have the, you know, a partner who's Muslim. In fact, it's paramount. It's the first thing on my resume builder. I'm just like, you Muslim? All right, cool. Keep it pushing. Take, 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 that, take that Shinto shit over there uh, for everybody else. I don't think it's that important. You know, I think we need to have a moral, some sort of moral system that we can, you know, be guided by, you know, just like from the wire. As long as you got a code, that's all that matters to me. I used to be, you know, on some uh, typical late stage heterosexuality shit being like, yo, fuck, uh, astrology but then i was like no it's just people who the world's so chaotic why not have something that like guides you a little bit that like makes you understand yourself and others a little bit better is it sometimes like a little bit too like oh you're libra you'll never find love something like that like it's like just like wow why do you just completely distill someone's life like that sometimes but i think that it's like everyone needs something to believe in and i think that as you know organized like bigger monotheistic religions like start to become something that people all know a little bit more about but not are they're not really as like steadfast to every single rule in it maria i think she grew up you know christian but i don't think that's something she really talks about but she is somebody who uses words like manifest and energy uh not in a toxically annoying <laughs> she's way spiritual but in a great way. she's spiritual but in a great way she's like somebody who like she's like mm, not really feeling this i don't have that 
because uh, I have parents who will be like, oh, you're not feeling that. I'm like, yes, mom. So like, I just never really had that. It's I'm <laughs> such a bad decision maker. We both are, but like, I am in a different way. It's nice that we have each other because like, for me, being Muslim, I did martial arts for a long time too. So I like loved Buddhism. I thought that made a lot of sense. I think it's, and I also studied because my dad is an academic and I was going to be an academic. I, th- I think I, I think I still am. Read a lot. And I read a lot about religions. And I just was like, oh, everyone just has like a code of what they live by that answers the questions that bother us all. And as time has gotten, you know, more towards the present, people just have a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of chaos and they need something, mm-hmm. something ordered. And I, I yeah, think that exactly. way I where I draw the line is as long as that order does not bring disorder to somebody else's life, I think do what you got to do. If your whole thing is like, I believe in this, so I'm going to fuck these people up, like <laughs> talk about the crusades and shit. No. Then I'm like, yeah. I, I don't, that, that's where I'm like, this doesn't make sense. As you were talking about code, I mean, my mind went a lot of places, but firstly, for the most part, I think all of the Old Testament based religions pretty much have the same codes in terms of like, what the Ten, Com- Ten Commandments, yeah. what the Ten Commandments teach <laughs> yeah. and what they say. Yeah. But I was thinking about the differences between the religions, and I realized I don't know what Islam says about the afterlife or what happens when you die. What what does it say? I have no idea. It's heaven and hell, you know? Like, it, it, it is. It's heaven and hell. It's very much God was writing notes, being like, hey, y'all do this. And then Jewish people like, got it. And then he's like, all right, Christian people, if you want to do this, I'm going to tell this dude Jesus, listen to him. Then they killed him. They're like, all right, so I feel like y'all not listening to these notes. Someone said, this last dude, Muhammad, don't kill him, by the way, these last notes. And they're all the same thing, just a little bit translated differently. So, it's like a game of telephone. Exactly. And I think, yeah, I think that like uh, when it comes to Islam, it's just like, yeah, it's heaven and hell. I think the di- and it's always funny because people are like, oh, you're Muslim. You don't believe in Jesus. I'm like, no, I really believe in him. I believe in him a lot. In our is a prophet, just not the son of God. That's like the thing that's different in Islam. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that are similar and different. And I think that there's there's toxic parts of all religions that are, you know, um, especially like the you know patriarchal parts that are just products of the time that got translated to, through time and then used to enforce power that like are things that all religions have and it's because it's from the exact same like message that's just been translated in different ways i wanted to ask since we all work in tv and entertainment segueing mm-hmm. here a little do yeah. you feel like depictions of muslim people are accurate or plentiful enough my only two references are like hala or rami which i was like these are great but i'm also yeah. like a white jewish woman like what do i know like from your perspective what do you think I think every depiction of Muslims since 9-11 has been on point. Uh, no, I think that, <laughs> I, I think that like, it, it's, it's, this is, this is the age of authenticity in TV, in my opinion. I think that especially if you're doing these single person identity based stories. And I think that Rami's a great case study. And I know Rami, he's a dope dude. I think what I like the most about Rami is that he immediately from the beginning rebuked that this is the opinion of all Muslims. This is Rami. He's like, I'm a dude from New Jersey who's thinking about masturbation a little bit too much. And that is where he guides himself from. And I think that there's beauty in that. And I think the way that he tells that story is from a very specific perspective. A Jew, uh, sorry, a, Jew, a Muslim, a Muslim, <laughs> um, I, I watched a different Rami. Uh, a Muslim, <laughs> I, like, I think we'll start that too. Uh, a, uh, a Muslim American Egyptian person who mm-hmm. is trying to find out who he is within this religion, trying to find a connection with it, trying to find, again, 
some why do people lean towards this as an order that guides them i think that's a beautiful part about it and when i think about muslim storytellers and storytelling i think that's the most important thing and so many different other types of stories get to be generalized like you know broad city is too in the words of alana jewess as hitting new york city and it's Mm -hmm. like that while that might be her experience, it's not the experience of everyone, but there's a lot of people who saw a lot of themselves in her. And I think there's a mm-hmm. lot of people who do see a lot of themselves in Rami, trying to hold on to a religion that doesn't feel like it fully encompasses the world that you live in. And I think that everyone deserves to have that opportunity, but not only that, but also individuated storytelling where it's like, you're telling your story. You don't feel like you're beholden. Like, I feel bad for like, <laughs> like Atlanta's and other stories. Like, you feel like you have to tell the story of Black people sometimes. Right. And a lot of shows mm-hmm. were like that uh, up until like probably less than a decade ago. And I think that now oh, we're yeah. entering a time where people can tell other other types of stories and we're seeing more Muslim people, you know, I mean, wasn't, uh, wasn't Riz Ahmed like just like nominated for an Oscar? Like that's the first Muslim mm-hmm. dude. To, it's like- First, and, isn't that fucking crazy? It's wild. It's wild. And, you know, we're starting to see more stories like that. that he are, also should have won, but whatever. Listen, it is what it is. Listen, uh, according to Variety, he did one win because I got Variety magazines all over the spot right now with his face all over them. I'm just like, what the fuck is the sound of metal? What that shit sound like? I was like so confused. <laughs> but yeah, it was a good movie coming, you know, off of uh, perspectives that are very voyeuristic. Like I probably shouldn't be the person helming a show that's all about women or white people i could probably write a lot about white people but i feel like there needs to be a diversity of that story but i think that if i was to talk about being black muslim and a mauritanian if you have a bunch of people from texas who've never met a mauritanian like i can write jokes for that that's not bad so you look at like the chuck lorries of the world yeah i said it chuck and you have the united states (laughs) it's like i know the story you're trying to tell but you know i also know that like the way that you have to tell that story is still going to be kind of exoticizing this afghani dude Treating your characters as real and not exotic and not as representative of the entire race is the most important thing. And I think that seeing yeah. more movies where people can do that, but also transcend it and play people that are completely, you know, it's not race specific. Um, really quickly, because we did not touch on it to the extent that Jessica wanted to. Ramadan. Yes, Ramadan. You did it. Congratulations. Oh, yeah, thank you. Um, my, selfish, my selfish questions first. One, did you lose weight? Two... <laughs> Two, did you cheat any days? And I guess three, if you did cheat, like, what was that experience like for you? And also just what was your experience? What is usually your experience fasting for so many days in a row? Because I just like simply can't imagine. For an entire month, right? Yeah, for an entire month, for 30 days. Well, let me start by getting the other pillars out of the way, because those are quickly. Uh, So (laughs) uh, Zakat, which is charity. Like I do give to charity a lot, most because we all kind of are also right now. But it's a part of like who I am uh, when it, in my activism work. Just finding something I really believe in, especially like you know Muslim women and uh, in, in the United States, and just like giving them like the space. Like I like I like donating to Loveland, uh, which is for Black women specifically. But there's also like Muslim wellness organizations. It's very important, and like it's a certain perspe- percentage of like your salary or how much money you get that you give. But I think that because we all have been and like, you know, especially like, you know, from last year, thinking about like all the different bail funds people were giving out money to just keeping that spirit going has always been part of like being a pillar of Islam. Uh, Then you got like the Hajj, which is the pilgrimage to Mecca. Going to Mecca is something that you're supposed to do with your like mom or your aunt, your grandma before they they pass. And I want to take my mom there. But being a starving artist, I can't be giving you all the money to go to Saudi Arabia and go walk around the rock for a little while. 
So without, not without me. So basically, uh, I want to take my mom and my dad there. That's like a goal for me. And I want to go as well. It's a big spiritual experience. It's very important. But yeah, Ramadan. I, uh, I love fasting every year uh, because it really does like get you back to being reset. Like you can just, you're just vibing. Simply just vibing. Yeah, simply, simply vibing. vibing. Uh, you know the vibes. Uh, <laughs> simply just thriving off vibes. That's literally it all day. And then around like <laughs> right before sunset, you're like, yo, I'm running out of vibes. I don't know if I'll make it. Yeah, I lost weight. I lose weight. But the thing is, I lose weight. I don't hold on to weight very well because uh, I just don't eat. Right oh, <laughs> I'm What's sorry. That like? <laughs> I've been trying. All this weight just leaves me. No, every, every Ramadan, I, lose, like, I literally lose like 10 to 11 pounds because I just don't eat right. Because remember, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, you don't eat all day. You have no energy making you run. And then I'm an idiot. And I'll be like, you know what? What do I want to eat? I don't know. Maybe some like some fruits and water. Nothing hefty enough like actually give me energy back. So I'll eat that and go to sleep. And then I just will wake up the next day and be like, fuck, I got to do this again. Oh, yeah, wow. And, uh, hydrating is very important. And then for me, because I just I see water, I'm like, I'm just going to body this. I drink a whole bottle of water, like two or three of them. And then be like, wow, I'm full of water. And that's not. So food. you're allowed to drink water during no. the day. Only at night. Oh, only I, at, only night. at night. Oh, yeah. OK. No, I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> no eating. No eating or drinking all day. <laughs> It's great. It's 30 days. I always try and clock when it's happening so I can like wean my body off of like eating big meals during the day. But I always forget. Like it'll be like three days before. Oh, got to gotta get my body ready for it. But like after like the first week, your body gets used to it. It's like, all right, cool. So in the morning, you got to conserve energy all day and just like, you know, working with people who don't have to fast is difficult sometimes. Even when I was teaching, like one of our one of my students, Musa, uh, was fasting, and I was like, "This sucks," because you're at lunchtime. There's, there's nothing to do but see people eat. It's just not a fun mm. feeling. It's a nice reminder that like there's people in the world that just don't have food, and then when you eat, you appreciate it a little bit more. And yeah, I'm I'm pretty good at keeping my life going during that time. I'm definitely not producing at the speed that I normally do. Uh, and the way that I construct sentences is just nonsense. Like, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just like so tired. And also working on West Coast time in New York is difficult because I have to break fast at the end of a work day in LA and that's its own fucking <laughs> beast. But this year was pretty mm. good. And I got to go home and see my mom. And like I was saying, there's no Muslim community there. So we went to Columbus to go see uh, some cousins of ours. Uh, that are there uh, still unclear if they're biologically related to us or just we're close but uh, <laughs> but I but they're family so we went to go spend time had some shui and we uh, you know talked on one of my cousins has seen 12 years it was like just like you know going home for the holidays running into or going to a family reunion running into a cousin you haven't seen in a long time and it was great but yeah uh, in the few weeks since since Eve like I I work I go to the I go to the gym I like running all, all around I play soccer that's like the hardest part because you really can't. I tried it for a few you weeks. Can't do that. I I tried to even do every other day, but like you just get so tired, especially if you're not eating right. Like um, I was trying to like make baked potatoes, be like, yo, just eat the potato. But then at the end of the day, I like eat half of this, and the next day I started all over again. And I did have cheat days, but they're because of the vaccine. Fair. Yeah. Exactly. Oh. Yeah, I see. Nice to strategically yeah, schedule yeah, your exactly. vaccine. Exactly. Michael vaccine <laughs> over here. No, it was. Over, I was. I definitely uh, the first vaccine. I look at, but the thing is, the first shot that I got was before Ramadan, and then my symptoms came in the day it started. And I was. I've never been that mm. sick in my life. I was like, holy. Shit. From the first shot, or from, from the first? You were shot. sick from the first. So I, didn't get, I didn't get COVID the entire time, so I had no antibodies against it. So there was nothing even there to like, you know, to help defend it. 
Did you get oh, Moderna? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. You're the first person I've heard of having a bad reaction to the first Pfizer shot. Yeah. And then the second shot was in the middle of Ramadan. I just, and I, did, and I took it and I didn't fast for that day. And I was like, you know what? Let me not. And then uh, I was fine. I, I just drank water that day because you're supposed to when you get yeah. vaccinated. But otherwise, yeah. I, I was on it for most of the other days. That's incredible. Yeah, That's awesome. Thank you, thank you, I respect you. that. I, I can barely fast on Yom Kippur for one day. And I always think, like, I don't know how people do this for an entire month. I actually think like, about it every single Yom Kippur. I'm like, I, I really do. Every, I'm like, I would suck at Ramadan. I think, but the mm-hmm. thing is, your body gets used to it. Your brain gets used to it. And I think that it also helps, again, if you're in a Muslim country, everyone's doing it. So, like, you're not going to go yeah. somewhere and stumble mm-hmm. to somebody eating. The one time that I went to Israel, I was with my family and we had like a tour guide and a driver. Mm. It was for my cousin's bar mitzvah. Anyway, our driver was like exiled from Jordan for I don't know the reason, but he um, was Muslim and it was during Ramadan and it was like so fucking hot outside. And he was fasting the entire time that he was driving our bus. And like we would always sit down to eat lunch and like invite him. And obviously we knew he couldn't eat, but. He would just sit there and like not eat. And I was like, how it is 110 degrees and you're driving a bus in Israel, not eating. I was like, this must Mm -hmm. be like the hardest thing in the world for this poor guy. Oh yeah. It's, 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 it's really hard, especially in those hot climates and stuff like that, but people make it work. Okay. I want to circle back. In the beginning of this interview, you said you had to tell us a crazy story. I was going to say that. I was like, the people are holding out <laughs> and we need to Okay, so it was in reference to be seeing uh, black people seeing each other at a party. I, uh, I definitely bleep out the dude's name. Going, I was working as a consultant for a project. And it was cool <laughs> to do that. And then they were interviewing me for their show. And they were like, that was a great interview. Would you like to come to his Broadway opening? And I was like, yeah, I would I would love to. Why is he on Broadway? Because that's not what I know him for. But you know what? I like to see things fail. So let me go. And I pulled up to the Broadway thing with one of my friends. And we went in. And it, there were like no other black people at all in this place. It was just a bunch of like New York socialized rich people. It's an opening night of an off, like early off party. It was on Broadway. It's a Broadway show. And my man is on stage giving us stories about his years, you know, fighting the good fight, making these fire projects and everything. And then I, and then the only other black person I noticed in the crowd is Al Sharpton. And Al Sharpton, <laughs> whose name you can keep in this, I hope he hears this. <laughs> Al Sharpton is a legend to the black community. And I was like, oh, I gotta like say what's up to Al Sharpton. I gotta go see Uncle Al for a second. My man was not trying to see me. He had these two like supermodel type shorties on his arms. And I was like, all right, cool. Do what you gotta do. Whole show. We're sitting there. I'm learning a lot. And then at some point in the show, pops up on stage and starts singing a doe, a deer, a female deer from The Sound of Music. I was unaware there was more to that song besides that first line because I'd only ever heard it in a commercial about that movie and I'd never heard the full song. It was very weird because he started conducting the audience to sing the song and everyone knew every word to that song. The remix, the G-mix, the DJ Khaled remix, they knew all of it and they were going for a (laughs) full minute. And when you're the only black person in a space where a lot of white people know something really well and they're singing it in unison, it feels a little culty. It feels like you're definitely not <laughs> supposed to be there. 
And I look over at Reverend <laughs> Al Sharpton, and he's looking directly at me. And he just goes, I don't know. And we both just kind of just like, <laughs> I could feel the melanated energy going between the two of us. Just like, you got this. Just <laughs> Three more verses, I guess. And we're just sitting there waiting for it to end. And it ended. And at the end of the show, uh, my friend who was with me, who was white, was just like, yo, I stopped singing because I saw how uncomfortable you were. <laughs> and then we were walking <laughs> on our way out. And then I walked past Al Sharpton. He goes like, it's like we did it, brother. He dapped me up. And then I left. And that is the only time <laughs> I ever want to meet Al Sharpton. If I see him again, I'm going to walk past him. I don't need any other memories. I just remember it's like, yo, sometimes it's like you, even if you're two black people who don't like each other, you might be in a situation where it's a little dicey and hot. And that blackness immediately, it's like magnets. Like, you know, you, it's the positive and the negative. They <laughs> will connect with each other. And man, that shit was terrifying. I, to this day, I couldn't, I can't even think about that song. If I hear it, I'm just like, I just get transported immediately there. <laughs> okay, what is your go-to bagel order? You're a New York man, a Brooklyn guy. I, Assuming you eat bagels. Exact, that's where I'm going to disappoint Which you. I, I feel like you. the only time that I thought I was going to get beat up by a Jewish lady was when I told her that I didn't eat bagels. We went, it was a Tinder day years ago. And she's like, what, what's your favorite bagel spot? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know, Bagel Smith in Williamsburg? I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know bagels like that. And she's like, wait, you know, what do, what do you get on your bagel? I'm like, I don't know, bagel? Like, I like this is not something that's really important to me. And like, I grew up, you know, my mom, she would go like Aldi, and there's like a, you know, a bread spot uh, uh, near us, and mm-hmm. we get like a six pack of bagels. And that's how I thought of bagels. Like, throw them in a toaster, they get toasted, put a little jam on it maybe. Or for me, I normally like them like a little bit of butter or something. But she was like, lots. Mm-hmm. what about, what about uh, cream cheese? And everything. What about the schmear? I'm like all this stuff. I'm just like you're saying words that I, I know the words the are real. I know I know they're real, but they're not real to me. I, I believe you. They just don't really affect me in that way. And we never spoke again. I'm okay with that. Because I was gonna say this sounds like a very aggressive Tinder date. Like, but that I understand. Sounds yeah. like an attack. But it's, to be honest, but it's the way that you said it. It's like it, I didn't know it was such a New York thing. Like I knew I knew it was like I knew I knew what bagels mm-hmm. were. I, but I wasn't like out here, like mm-hmm. you know, you know, I would die for my bagels, like you know what I mean. Like that was just not my energy, like, <laughs> like me. Yeah. yeah. yeah she, and again, it's like if I go get bagels, it's I will probably get a cinnamon raisin bagel because I love cinnamon raisin bagels, and I put a little, you know, strawberry jam on it, and that's it. And I'm a, I'm a man. It's simple. We love that. Yeah, yeah that but works. I, but here's the thing: I would never do that. I would buy a six pack uh. from Trader Joe's, <laughs> toast them at my house, and do them because bagels are also expensive in New York, depending on where you're going. So. Yes. So this was wonderful, Mamadou. What a time. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us, Mamadou. You can follow him on Instagram at Mamadou About Nothing. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or listen for free on Spotify. And don't forget to rate and review us. If you want to support our show financially, go to anchor.fm slash pray for us. We'll love you forever. We really will. Forever and always. Follow us on Insta at Pray For Us Pod. And if you feel like it, send us a note at prayforuspod at gmail.com. Shabbat shalom. This podcast has been mastered and mixed by the one and only Josh Fisher. Yay, Josh. We love you, Josh. <laughs>